As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And to kind of drive the conversation back to kind of the veteran and transition and some of the issues that we faced, I think when you talk about the strength and power uh, that was taught, whether it's in the home or through boot camp or military service, or whatever, um, one of the things I think that needs to be talked about is how do you shift that power, right? So how do you how do you take a guy, a grunt that is in the combat battlefield? He is just jacked. He is just the strongest, most you know, lethal person out there. And then he gets injured in war, or it gets injured and he can't perform on that physical level. Mm. Where do you, where do you find your strength from? Let's go. Welcome to citizen. We have a very special guest today. Uh, Tim Fry from Tennessee is how I'm going to refer to you. Uh, drinking bro. We've, uh, done some tailgates together, done some partying together, but you're involved in a lot of stuff in your community. I wanted to have you on today to talk about that. How's it going? Uh, doing well. Thank you uh, for having me, Dan. It's a uh, excitement and honor. Sure. So uh, tell me um, <clears throat> first, let's get into how you, uh, some of your background, what, what have, what have you done in your life um, and what are you doing now? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in a little small town in Missouri, uh, joined the Air Force um, at my actually my 21st birthday, um, served 17 years. I actually got injured uh, in Afghanistan. It was whatever it is. And um, it was in 2009, served for, uh, was it eight more years? Um, they got medically separated. Uh, then transitioned. Uh, I was... Uh, came out of the military with a lot of, you know, I had my master's degree, bachelor's, all that stuff. So I felt like I was primed for that transition. And, um, well, I, I fell on my face. <laughs> so, um, did, did a couple ends and hop jobs and then, uh, found my footing, started my own business, uh, with the help of uh, a really good friend of mine. And then, um, got, uh, got into, I've always had that sense of service. Um, but now, uh, got involved with a, a veteran nonprofit called mission 22. And, uh, they, they basically helped save my life. Uh, and I've learned that, you know, I had to take part of that in myself, but, um, so I took it, I took that as a sign and I, I found a way to give back. So now I'm the state, uh, of Tennessee leader for mission mm -hmm. 22. And um, tell me, so, well, yeah. first tell me what <clears throat> mission 22 is and what service they provide. And, yeah, and then uh, um, and then tell me about your, if you don't mind, tell me about your personal struggle and how they helped you. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so Mission Twenty Two is a veteran nonprofit that helps combat veterans, and they deal with specifically combat veterans, and uh, and that's their choice as a nonprofit. Um, I, I've heard a lot of flack and kickback, but there's a lot of veteran nonprofits out there, and there's there's uh, one for everybody. So, um, and what they do is a holistic approach to recovery. Um, so they've uh, done a lot of research and uh, collaborated with a lot of different um, organizations out there for getting away from the, just the common going to the VA, getting prescribed a, a whatever kind of pill, uh, getting away from the alcohol um, and stuff like that. Not in a sense of personal enjoyment, but uh, there's a difference between that and reliability on it. Um, and the, the sense of involvement of self-accountability, uh, self-motivation and accountability and uh, community involvement. Um, so the programs that they have, uh, I've went through two of them now and, um, a lot of onus is on self-accountability and discipline, which is something that was taught in the military. And, and then that transition, 
can sometimes get lost, uh, you know, your sense of purpose. So uh, what it's helped with me, um, I, w- I was one of those veterans that I was always, uh, I've always took self and, uh, pride in my, my work. Um, I always try to do uh, the best job possible, always challenge myself. And the military gave me that discipline that I was kind of lacking through that adolescent time. Um, I, I believe that's the same for a lot of men uh, that end up serving a lot of men and women. And when I got out, um, I didn't, I didn't have a purpose. I had, I had children I was married. Um, but that purpose is a little different than, you know, raising kids and, and being there for them. It's uh, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of service. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the military is kind of guided for you in a sense, you know, you showed up to work, you were told what to wear, what to do, what the mission was. You received the training and, and you relied on, uh, self-sufficiency and the self-sufficiency of others. So that community, um, if I were, you know, if, if you ask the majority of veterans that have served and are now just, uh, you know, living their lives outside of service, if you ask them, what's one thing that they miss about service <laughs> it's going to be community, the brotherhood. Right. Right. And so when you don't have that, you get kind of get lost. So I struggled with that. Um, you know, I was, uh, when you talk about, uh, you know, the 22 veterans a day taking their own lives, um, I was, I was uh, in conversation, I was conversation of one of being one of those people. I, you know, I was, there was times that I, you know, wanted to take my own life and I didn't, I didn't like how that felt. So, uh, one of my good friends sent me information on mission 22 and I said, Hey, have you ever heard of them? Uh, I had not at that time. So, uh, reached out, uh, signed up for one of the programs and I felt, I felt guilty at the time, uh, because, you know, I was in the Air Force. I wasn't, uh, you know, shooting people. Uh, I was loading bombs. Um, so I felt like I was taking a spot from someone else that would possibly deserve it more than me. And so I struggled with that a little bit. And uh, I talked on the phone with Mission 22, and uh, they reassured me that I was a prime candidate for the program. And and here we are. So I uh, went through there, uh, struggled a little bit to try to, uh, you know, enforce their involvement in the program. It was it was more a self-paced, but they gave you guidelines. They gave you all the material, uh, all the technology, which was great. And um, yeah, you've got to do the work. That's the biggest takeaway. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we found that with um, our our friend, Michael Schellenberger, who does work with the homeless in California for the last like 20 years now. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people, you know, you, you have to find a good balance of uh, empathy and accountability, right. To truly improve somebody's life. You can't, it's, it's kind of the, it's like the psychological version of, uh, teach a man to fish, right. Because you're not going to be there all the time to, um, I guess to protect people from their own worst self. Like there, you have to, you have to become resilient and learn, um, how to dig yourself out of that hole quickly, recognize the symptoms and all this stuff. And if you don't, <clears throat> you never really improve. You just take breaks from being a piece of shit. You know what I mean? In your life. And that's something that I think a lot of us, like in the early days, the first couple of years when you're out and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, reintegrate yourself. I think that's usually, that that certainly was the case for me. I just kind of had good periods and I had bad periods, right? And the yeah. bad ones were typically longer than the good ones until, you know, <clears throat> I guess I finally just decided I'd had enough, you know, and yeah. I think that's, it's, it's the rock bottom that people refer to an addiction, but it's the same thing with, with, you know, your motivation as psychology. Yeah. And, and to that point, um, when I go do events for mission 22 and pass out information and, and, and stuff is, um, one of the things that I talk to veterans about is you, you have to want to change. You have to want to do this yourself. You can't have your family members saying, this is what you need to do. It, it is helpful when you have that support system, but if you're not willing to do the changes and get your, your mind right and your body right, um, you, the, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a constant battle. And I'll, I'll ask you a question, Dan is, you know, when your struggle, um, when, when I went through mine, it was, I felt helpless because I felt a certain way and my mind was like, I don't, I, it was, it was a hard to understand the way I was feeling. And I, you know, when you tell yourself like, oh, stop, you know, break out of it, stop acting like a pussy or whatever. Um, and it's not that it's just a chemical imbalance most of the time. Um, 
or whatever's going on in your body that just needs to be uh, straightened up. And, you know, I've heard you talk about it many a times um, about it. one of the most important things is blood work. Yeah, uh, sure. I yeah. got my blood work checked and uh, good gosh, my whole body was fighting itself because mm. my mind was just constantly going. My body was like, hey, you're on fight or flight mode, um, you know, inflammation, all your cortisol levels, everything were out of whack. And so we got that right through, you know, um, holistic supplementation and blood work, <laughs> testosterone therapy, et cetera. So. Yeah, there's a there's a lot that goes into that, right? So not every not every yeah. case is going to be the same. Um, sure. Uh, if you've had repeated head trauma, or um, if you've been if you've been exposed to a lot of uh, toxic chemicals, heavy metals, especially, you're probably going to have testosterone problems. As a matter of fact, most men, regardless of their military service or, or action in combat, do currently have testosterone issues. Um, I mm -hmm. believe the <clears throat> The latest stat I, I've heard on that is that the average 21-year-old today has 40% less testosterone than their counterpart in 2000, so the last 20 wow. years or so. That's part of it. And, and to your point, it, it's sometimes it's chemical imbalances, yeah, the fight-or-flight thing, but there's, there's relatively simple solutions to a lot of this stuff, right? So uh, stellan ganglion blocks can reset your fight-or-flight uh, it's not a permanent fix, but it'll it gives you a little standoff, a little breathing room. Um, you there there are a, a myriad of things you can do to address cortisol levels, like ashwagandha and things like that. Um, exercise obviously helps, um, and then testosterone and things like that obviously are becoming more readily available for supplementation. There's no uh, <clears throat> I like it, it's. Educating people is a really important part of the process at, the, at this point because I remember there not being a whole lot of options when I got out in 2010. It was kind of like the Wild West, you know. You know, yeah. if you you were left to figure it out on your own, basically. And you know, thanks to organizations like Mission 22 and a lot of other, there's a lot of them now. Um, yeah, you can there. There's reliable services and good information you can find now. We we try to take. Um, every opportunity to discuss them on on all of our programs here but you know ultimately <clears throat> as you suggested earlier it, it falls on the individual to take control of their own life again right and that should be any help you give somebody should be uh to allow them the time and give them the tools to reclaim their own fucking property which is their body and their mind right um, oh yeah and and, and if you know, it doesn't as much as it sucks to watch people suffer like that, you're not doing them any favors by enabling them because ultimately you're just prolonging their suffering. You know what I mean? Like it, it's you gotta rip that fucking band-aid off. These these every every <clears throat> you you've been in this situation, the pits and valleys of purposeless nihilistic depression are very dangerous, right? Because oh, yeah. you 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 brush up against suicidal ideation on a pretty regular basis when you're in that state of mind. And yep. all it takes is, you know, if you, if you don't do something about it for yourself, a couple of bad days in a row and now you're in trouble. Right. So it's yep. not like one of those things like, yeah, people, a lot of people do stay depressed for years and oftentimes aside from just being miserable, it doesn't become a direct threat to them, but it only takes a few moments, right. A few bad moments to, for, for it to be, for it to get really nasty. So I recommend people look into it. And if you're having trouble, the information's out there now. It's, it's not like <clears throat> people used to get DUIs in the military back in the early two thousands. I'm like, that's stupid. But you know, now there's Uber. So if you're getting DUIs now, that's really fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Because there is, there's like a whole infrastructure to stop that shit from happening at this point. And if you don't make use of it, then, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. And I think, you know, what, one of the journeys that I've had to take is, um, getting in touch with my, getting in touch with my emotional well being, um, and, and understanding that it's like, you know, in the military, I got to kind of program you to be a, a hard ass, you know, you have, you can't, you can't operate off emotional responses. Um, cause, just you have you just have you just can't um 
that, you know, the mission has to occur. And that's, that's what, what it was. Um, and then coming out of that, you know, as a father, as a husband and on this journey of transition and just understanding life, it's, uh, the older you get, then it's a very important, um, value to be able to attach to. So, you know, I've, I've went through some, some therapy, um, for finding that emotional stance and I still struggle with it, but, um, you know, growing up, men are supposed to be hard, you know, they're supposed to be less emotion and the women, uh, are supposed to be the emotional givers. And where do you think, do you think that's a culturistic, um, disservice that we're doing to to men in the, in the america today yeah certainly it is i mean look <clears throat> uh one of my favorite quotes is from carl sagan and it goes something like um for me it's far better to grasp the universe as it is rather than persist in delusion uh regardless of how gratifying the delusion might be and pretending like it, what what we know about masculinity is that it it, it is a, a biological the bi, it's a biological imperative to provide and protect right now masculinity can because because of the traits assigned uh, I guess <clears throat> to the 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 actions of providing and protecting like hunting for example or fighting external forces military like you know there's a lot of violence involved and as is the case with any tool you can be used for you know it could be used poorly and for nefarious causes but pretending that you were we're, we're effectively throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right where we're trying to and look it's not, i don't think it's necessarily a cultural issue i, I what i think it is, is is you know external influence trying to to weaken the institutions that protect us that's what i think it is i think it's intentional um but even if it's not you're right it is fucking stupid you know what i mean like the purpose of masculinity is to provide and protect so but the purpose of all strength is to use it to help other people that's the that's the purpose of all of all strength right so um it's why we form communities it's why we build walls around them it's why we build houses to keep ourselves safe. It's why we develop interpersonal relationships. All these things are important. And, you know, typically <clears throat> throughout history, it's been men who negotiate treaties and then women who is, who help establish the social hierarchies and communities. You know what I mean? Like all of these roles yeah. are important and look, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Nobody's telling you that you have to do this or have to do that, but it is a reality. It is a biological fact that one group one gender is good at one thing, generally speaking, and then the other gender is good at the other thing, generally speaking. And, you know, what we found through decades and decades, there's a 30-year study from uh, the most egalitarian Northern European societies. And what they found was the more egalitarian it got, the more choice everybody had and the more equal those choices were, the more likely it was for men to take jobs that were meant for men and women to take jobs that are meant for women. Right. And the most egalitarian societies on earth, about 85% of nurses are female. Right. And about 90% of uh, our primary education people are female as well. Right. So that's yeah. what you should expect because that's what they're good at. You know what I mean? It is, it's, it's not a, we tried to criminalize almost identifying reality, which is very dystopian. I mean, I, I don't see how that's, going to scale over time because ultimately people the, the, there's a lot of people who fall for that dumb shit but not forever right i mean you see i i, I feel like very rarely do you see somebody who is liberty-minded at this point in human history particularly in western history get trapped and sucked into the woke cycle but very frequently i mean how many stories have you personally seen uh, on social media and then in the general media about people who were woke, who've like woken up for real. Oh you know yeah. I mean? It's way yeah. more common yeah. for people to move away from that stupid shit. So I don't know, man. Yeah. I, and to that point, and I think it's, you know, in, in that influence, it's, you know, from my experience, it's people that haven't 
went on the grind that will get influenced. You know, it's people that aren't in their communities being involved uh, to seeing what's actually happening real locally. Right. Um, you know, it's uh, to find your, find your sense of service. It, you know, you, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you're not involved in your local community, but you're more involved into the national p- political scheme, um, I think you got it kind of backwards, right? Um, you have more influence locally than you do on a global or national scale. You know, it's important to be involved in politics and mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. But, you know, if, if you don't know what's going on in your local town and you don't know what it's like to serve, then, um, you know, how, how are you going to, engage and build your children and the people of the future. You know, that's what scares me is my kids have to see, you know, they're going through this uh, now. And I, I find it very important to get them involved in community. So when I go volunteer or do different community involvements, uh, I bring, I take the kids with me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, get them a sense of service and things are, are bigger than yourself. Right. If you're not willing to help out, like, like you said, someone in need, then what are we really here for? Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really important thing for uh, not just kids. I mean, that's how you refocus yourself as a human being. It's it, what, what, something I say a lot and I'm sure the audience probably knows what I'm about to say, but you know, if you can turn your pain and suffering into empathy for other people, you know what I mean? Not just empathy, but action as well, then you can save both of your lives. And that, that is a, I, I think that's one of the truer things about, human existence, unless you have some kind of soci sociopathy going on. Most people, yeah. it, it's hard. There's a, it's, it's hard to watch people struggle up close. It's uncomfortable to watch other people struggle. And it's also hard to hate up close. You know what I mean? Like if oh, you're, yeah. um, <clears throat> a lot of people will say nasty things on the internet, uh, and they'll say nasty things when somebody else isn't around. I, I don't think it's just that they're afraid of reprisal that stops people from talking shit in person. I don't think they're worried about getting into a fist fight. I think it's difficult to look at another human being that might be struggling and say nasty things to them or do nasty things. I really do think it's hard. And you do you need yeah. proof. It's like there's uh, if you read the uh, <clears throat> some of the writings around the final solution meeting in Germany, right, uh, which was Adolf Eichmann and uh, Heinrich uh, Reinhard Heydrich, uh, Reinhard Heydrich, uh, the butcher of Prague. They had this meeting where they just pretty much let everybody know we're going to kill all the Jews, right? And some of the feedback from that meeting, uh, I believe Martin Luther's notes were leaked uh, somehow, or he kept his notes and published them later, or some shit like that. But um, some of the feedback that he that they received was like, "Hey, our soldiers don't want to do this shit." You know what I mean? They're not like they 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 fight. They'll fight your war, but they don't want to just fucking wholesale murder an entire race of people. You know yeah. what I mean? And then we look at uh, like if you read <clears throat> Colonel Grossman's book on killing, even during you know the American Civil War and American Revolutionary War, we see evidence that uh, people involved in that conflict would intentionally shoot over the heads or into the ground and the firing lines for their enemies because it's uncomfortable to do that stuff. Right. Like you really got to, and I think that's, I think it's a built in safety device, a mechanism from nature to make sure you don't just like wipe out your own people. You know what I mean? It's to a, to a, some degree, it's something called Ken selection where, um, you decide through whatever process, whether it's how somebody looks or, uh, what they believe or what what country they've lived in or whatever else, how they behave, maybe uh, who you consider to be your family. Right. And yeah. um, it's a very important process that we've, we've really gotten away from it in this country. I mean, people feel really divided and it's, and it's not a matter of um, from my perspective, I don't think it's about, how different we are. I think it's about how much we focus on the differences that we have. Right. Cause it's, yeah. they're, they're usually yeah. pretty minimal. Yeah. And I think, um, but you're, you're absolutely right. I think, I think it goes into very simplistic values of the, or the lack of understanding values and principles or ethics. Um, I think that's been kind of taken away from, 
what our focus should be as just citizens. Mm. You know, uh, you can look at the generations and uh, find kind of find the evolution of detachment of our principles and values um, and ethical teachings that, that doesn't happen anymore in schools. Uh, I, I have these conversations with my kids about like ethics and values. Like, hey, explain to me what values and principles mean to you. Mm. And they're like, I don't, what are you talking about? And so we have conversations about those things and why we have the rules we have and why we value the things we have. And I think uh, what we see a lot of today is um, we get into these uh, arguments of people placing eth- ethical relativism ahead of what society is supposed to be like. You know, we're, we're supposed to treat humans with humanity and humility. And um, a, lo- a lot of it's highlighting everyone's bad days their worst days the worst comments that we can find on social media and um it's okay for people to mess up you know we're human it's uh and that's something i've had to kind of go through and discover um and there's different values and levels of a, of a mistake or someone saying the wrong thing and people should be held accountable but um you know to te- to teach our kids that growing up is uh, a scary situation to put them in um and especially as men and, and, and as a veteran, you know, we, we signed up to serve the country and, um, I've, I've listened to a few podcasts recently. I think it was, the the, the one that you just did with, uh, I think was it Tim Kennedy. Um, and he talked about, Hey, you have to kind of let, let the past go, you know, let the past be the past and focus on the now and the future. Right. The past is important, but, um, and that's something that it's a evolution of self too, is, uh, if you get stuck in the past, then you can't live in the present. All right, folks, we're going to do a couple of advertisements so we can keep this show on the air and keep people paid. Got producers. I can't do any of this stuff, so I have to pay people to do this. Um, The first is Black Rifle Coffee. BlackRifleCoffee.com. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. Uh, You know, join the back Black Rifle Coffee Club, and you will get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee is a veteran-owned and operated company that supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. You get premium coffee delivered once a month. Uh, choose your favorite roast. Whether you want coffee rounds, ground coffee, whole bean coffee, you choose your delivery schedule as well, anytime you like. I think they have 7, 14, 21, and 30 days, maybe 60 days as well. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. So you can get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. I recommend getting the uh, exclusive coffee club. Um, it's There's a separate uh, high-end uh, small batch ro- uh, coffee roast once a month. Uh, you know, Panamanian geisha, some Colombians, some Ethiopians, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, especially if you're getting started as a new coffee drinker, this is, uh, I, I think that's probably the best way to go. Cause you're going to get exposed to a lot of good premium coffees. Um, so anyways, get 20% off your first order with the code citizen by going to black rifle Next up ghost bed. We all know them right now. Ghost bed is offering 40% off ghost bed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else. 30% off. If you use the code drinking bros, at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Get a mattress for like 25, 35 bucks a month. And they also have a 0% down or $0, 0% down financing plan for up to 60 months. That's five years. And it uh, also works with the discount, right? They've got the best sheets, the best pillows, the best mattresses. They've got the mattress topper. They've got the adjustable base. They have the uh, uh, weighted blanket now. Pretty much everything you're ever going to need for your bedroom suite. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros and get those deals. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babble.com slash citizen. This holiday season, if you're looking for a unique gift that inspires curiosity, travel, and culture, give yourself the gift of Babbel. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions And thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons, you'll finally be able to discover the wonder that comes with learning a new language. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes a day to complete a lesson. 
So you can start having real-life conversations in a new language as little as three weeks. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans. Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts and voiced by real native speakers, not computers. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective, and with Babbel, you can choose from up to 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to the lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. And it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash citizen. That's babbel.com slash citizen for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. It's Citizen. We believe home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. And right now, Simply Safe is offering Citizen Podcast listeners 40% off a new security system. Here's why I love it it is the easiest thing in the world to set up. It's one thing to have great security systems, it's another thing entirely to be able to become an expert in the field and learn where to set things up and how and how all the technology works and all this other stuff. It could be very prohibitive for people who are trying to secure their home. Well, Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 22, uh, 2022 rather, by U.S. News and World Report for the third year in a row. And it's because it's so easy. When people vote on this stuff, like security systems by and large can be very similar to one another, but there are a couple of critical factors that make one better than the other, in my opinion. Uh, the first thing is the ease of setup, as we have mentioned. Then there's the 24-7 professional monitoring service that costs you less than $1 a day. Now, this is an optional monitoring service, but if you choose to uh, purchase it, it's less than a dollar a day, less than half of what ADT's traditional professional install system costs. In an emergency, 24-7 professional monitoring agents use FastProtect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real, even if you're not home. And they have HD security cameras, sensors for every room, window, and door, smarter ways to detect motion that alert when the threat is real or when it's not, uh, not a threat at all. With a top-rated SimpliSafe app, stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere. Arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, or adjust system settings. Don't miss your chance for massive SimpliSafe savings. On, on your favorite security system and mine. We've been talking about this thing for a very long time now. It's a great system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash citizen podcast. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash citizen podcast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Sure, and it's a big problem. I mean, uh, you, you don't want to be too stuck in the past or the future, to be honest. I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's, you know, the we we've we've made a bunch of our decisions recently about how we're going to organize our lives based on um based on the social climate right which is kind of that's shifty it's that's that's it's not a great foundation because it changes frequently you know what i mean <clears throat> which means a couple of things one it means you're going to be all over the place and you're not going to have i guess roots for lack of a better phrase um but two, it means you get used to changing so much that you can be captured by bad ideas more readily. You know what I mean? You have less of a of an intellectual defense. Um, I mean, go go stand on concrete and and fight somebody, and then stand on like a fucking waterbed or something and try to fight somebody. It's going to be a much different situation for you. And, oh, yeah. and uh, you know that's why I like that. It's why I, I started the the principles thing in the first place. I think it's a good way to kind of figure out how you want to organize your life. You know what I mean? And it's, uh, you know, <clears throat> maybe some of these apply to everyone and maybe they don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. but I, I think that stuff like supporting and defending Liberty against anybody that might come after it is a pretty good principle to live your life by because, you know, ultimately, Liberty is, it's kind of, the libertarians like to say it's about property rights, right? Which sounds kind of 
weird when you first think about it, but it is, what is it fundamentally about liberty that makes it so appealing? It's individuality. And the ultimate version of that is owning your own body and your own choices. Right. And, yeah. and, and there being some kind of <clears throat> principle involved to protect that, but also a principle involved to, uh, I guess, have some kind of structured recourse against people who might trespass on your property. And in, in, in this case, your, your human life, your body, your consciousness, your ability to do and say whatever the fuck you want to do, provided it doesn't hurt anybody else. So I, I, it's a really good exercise to say, like when you see something that's not good, that's not working properly or something that seems unjust or unfair, try to reduce that thing all the way down to the lowest possible level you can and figure out exactly what's happening there. Like, it's not fair that there are people that are hungry in the richest country in the history of the world. Right. But you have to kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit, and understand why that is. And because if you don't reach the root cause of that, you're not going to reach any kind of plan on how to change it or fix it. You know? Yeah. And, and there's, there's so many rules around like just the simple fact of letting people go hungry. Like my wife used to work at an institution and she dealt with kids. And, um, on Fridays she would have to make sure that some kids went home with food for the weekend, right. Go to their own homes. And it's a sad situation. And she could, she sacrificed her ability to keep her employment because it was against the rules, you know, but she was doing what was right. Uh, because the resources were there and she had the ability to, and uh, deep down that was what, uh, what she wanted to do. And the simple fact, if you're doing the right thing and you're sacrificing a, a potential employment or, um, you know, rules or regulations, it's just ridiculous uh, in that sense, you know, as a society, we have to do better, you know? Um, yeah. You don't want bureaucracy getting in the way of actually achieving the goal. You know what I mean? And that's the, for me, that's always been the problem with government. It becomes about uh, perpetuating its own existence and not, you know, serving its clients, which are, you know, supposed to be the citizenry. But very rarely is that the case. I mean, I, I don't I can't point to a lot of governments in human history whose primary focus was on the citizenry. Right. It's mostly yeah. about extracting wealth from people and redistributing it to uh, other people or people in the government bureaucrats. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's. <clears throat> It, it again it, this is about accountability and discipline like when somebody says yeah. well it's not fair a lot of people will say um that it is not fair that i took out a predatory loan to go to a university and now i'm being forced to pay it back at a, at a high interest rate during a time of what's effectively a recession like all right cool yeah you might be right about that it might not be fair um but it's also not fair to ask someone else to shoulder the burden of your mistake. Exactly. And uh, like if we, if we want to make some deal where the universities and the banks have to take accountability for what they did, I'm, I'm hundred percent for that. But if the American taxpayer has to foot the bill on uh, uh, that, that to me, that's a, uh, a non-starter conversation because yep. it just can't work that way because you're, well, you're solving one problem and creating another for other people, right? Like you're, you're yeah. simply extracting wealth from one group of people and paying off what is effectively a debt to the government, right? That you, how, how you want to talk about fair, how the fuck's that supposed to be fair? You know what I mean? So there's no level of, of accountability there's, in that. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, accountability is is number one, and and going through that whole process when it comes to just the example of student loans, you know what you're getting into. There's there's no there's nothing hidden. You already know what the interest rates are going to be. Right. You know borrowing the money for the education. Um, but yeah, like for my position, I was lucky that my son is extremely smart and his college paid for because of the work that he did. Right, um, he got he got scholarships and well, you know everything. So. And I think he took out a small loan to pay for the remaining of it. And we sat down and discussed it is, Hey, this is your responsibility. Do you understand that? Yeah. And he come up with a plan. I'm going to pay this off uh, as I go through college. When I work, I'm going to take this much money uh, for my weekly paycheck and pay off my loan. <laughs> so it's a simple pro pre uh, premise, but 
uh, I think that again attaches to the the lack of accountability um, that isn't either developed or taught or uh, the follow through. Right? People, I think people know that there's accountability, but um, if we say that there's going to be repercussion to an action or a reward to an action and it never comes, then why would you even pay attention to it going forward? Sure. I mean, that's uh, if you need any evidence for that on a social level in a way that's very obvious, just look at the border, right? Right now, if <clears throat> so, if I'm somebody in a shitty Central or South American country and my options are to stay there or to come to the United States uh, illegally, and the penalty for coming to the United States illegally is that um, I can, for example, get in for free and get placed somewhere by the government and then probably get some government assistance at some point or at least a job somewhere. Why the fuck would I not do that? You know what I mean? Exactly. So, you know. <clears throat> Why would I follow the process? And it's going to take a lot longer and get me, get me right. less. Yeah. So I all, all I have to do is get over the border and then say, uh, you have to meet the credible fear requirement for yeah. asylum. And it's yeah. like, all right, cool, man. But people are abusing that. So two and a half million people came into our country last year illegally and, and are here to stay. So that's not great. It's untenable. And if you don't have clear enforceable rules, then people are going to do whatever they want. And then with, with numbers that large, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I, and I think the average person wants that. I think, I think in a, today's we're just confused. There's so much going on, and it's the 24-hour news cycle. Mm. And uh, anymore, I I don't pay attention to the news. You look at Twitter or social media, or just you know pop-ups that come up on the phone, I, you know, to keep you up to date. But um, you know, I just uh, there's there's a lot going on, and it just there's just a world of confusion. And the average American citizen, they don't know what to believe, and then. Um, you know, it just comes down to influence and um, what's kind of pushed on the throat. But um, I want to I want to uh, share a little bit of uh, they kind of talked about um, kind of the the involvement into your community and the kind of the viewpoints. Um, a couple of Vietnam veterans I'm friends with. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the name uh, Captain Bill Robinson. Uh, yeah, it sounds familiar. So he's the longest held enlisted prisoner of war in American mm -hmm. history. Uh, he is a Vietnam veteran, uh, got shot down uh, as a uh, senior airman. He was in the Air Force. Um, he's now a good friend of mine. I got to see him talk many times uh, during my stint at uh, teaching at the academy, uh, non-commissioned officer academy. And I got to hear his story once every six weeks, and it's just a compelling story. But um, we, me and Bill got to sit down and have conversations, and it was, I mean, for me, it was an honor, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was captured 2,703 days. Like that's just shy of eight years. Yeah, you know, it's a long ass time. He was gone eight years out of his life, but he, um, you know, just in this conversation, he turned to me and said, Tim, you know, Hey, I appreciate your service. Thank you. Um, I couldn't do what you guys do today. And when, when he said that, it kind of floored me, you know, um, he, he served during Vietnam war and he was captured by the Vietnamese for, over eight years. I'm not laughing because of that. I'm laughing because mm -hmm. it's a sense of why would, you know, during, during the war on, um, you know, the Afghanistan war, the Iraq war, he's saying that he couldn't handle it because it's been so politicized, but yet the Vietnam war was as well. Yeah. But they didn't know that while yeah. they were there. Exactly. It wasn't until they got back probably. So maybe I've, I've heard the same thing from, I've, I've actually heard it from world war two vets as well. I'm like, I don't know. Well, <clears throat> the average World War II veteran, I think, saw real combat something like every 80 days, like once yeah. every 80 days. And then there are some periods where it was extended over larger periods, like the Battle of the Bulge and, and particularly in the in the Pacific Theater as well. But uh, and then you fast forward to the GWAT, it's like most people saw combat at least once a month. And for certain units, it was almost every day. Right. So yeah. it's like the operational tempo is quite a bit different, but the goddamn severity of look, war is war. It's fucked up. It sucks no matter what. But uh, <laughs> I've never been face down in a ranger grave in the wintertime with trees exploding around me. You know what I mean? So yeah. when, I, I agree with you. When people, when, when old timers tell me shit like that, I'm like, dude, whatever. 
Like you, you'll yeah. be just fine. Like it's just a different yeah. kind of bullshit. Yeah. And it's uh, and it's a respect thing. I think it was, you know, it's just a different breed of, of men. Um, but it, you know, it's just, it, it, I think it's important, uh, for, for generations to understand people's names like that. And I'm not saying that mm. everyone has to know Bill, Bill's story, but, um, you know, the history, you know, more recently you've talked about history repeating itself and we're on a cycle. Um, if we don't pass that on to the generations, our generation, even we're still young in this grand scheme of things, but, and then pass that information down to the kids. We have to understand who paved the way for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, You know, story. uh, I I talked to, um, fuck, who was it the other day? I think it was uh, Tommy Vexed or somebody, somebody this week. It, we, we were talking about um, tradition and stuff and how, you know, traditions are kind of going away. But uh, most cultures have had some, uh, at some point, even after the invention of writing, uh, some form of uh, verbal storytelling, right? Where mm-hmm. a lot of their folklore or a lot of the mythology or a lot of just the history of the community was passed down particularly from the elders to the younger people, right? Um, the, the natives did this by having the older uh, men and women tell stories to children, at, like at prescribed times during the day and stuff like that. Uh, m- most of Jewish history was passed down like that as well from Israel and things. <clears throat> it's a very important process, right? Because you're hearing it. Not only are you getting the information, but you're also getting it from somebody that understands it so you have perspective around it, right? And yeah. I think that's one of the primary functions. Like we, we talk about fatherless homes, especially these days and, and how it's a root cause of nihilism in young men. But, you know, a lot of people don't unpack why, like just having a dad around, isn't necessarily going to solve your problem. Just having a dude with a dick in your house for the first yeah. 18 years of your life on its own, doesn't necessarily do anything. It's really about what that person represents and what they're passing down from one generation to the next yeah. uh, principles, work ethic right resilience and uh empathy and and learning how to use strength and power in the right way the most dangerous thing on earth is a is a weapon in the hands of a fucking maniac right or a weapon in the hands of somebody who doesn't know how to use it properly can also be extremely unsafe and masculinity power strength aggression that is a that is a weapon 100 percent. that doesn't make it bad but right just as as this gun is an inanimate object. It is not good yeah. or bad. It is what I do with it that makes the difference. And it is what you do with, you know, the tools and, and things you were given. But, you know, what, just expecting kids to figure it out on their own by watching mm-hmm. television and YouTube and shit. I don't, that's, that's kind of a, I'm not sure why we thought that was going to work out. Yeah. And it's, um, and, and to kind of drive the conversation back to, kind of the veteran and transition and some issues that we faced. I think when you talk about the strength and power uh, that was taught, whether it's in the home or through boot camp or military service, whatever. um, One of the things I think that needs to be talked about is how do you shift that power? Right? So how do you, how do you take a guy, a grunt that is in the combat battlefield? He is just jacked. He is just the strongest, most, you know, lethal person out there. And then he gets injured in war. It gets injured, and he can't perform on that physical level. Mm. Where do you where do you find your strength from after that? You know, um, you have to be able to shift from like your body to your mind mm. or to your being or your involvement. So, uh, I that's a that conversation doesn't normally occur because we don't uh, anticipate a power shift in strong men, but it's a reality that we face. Right? It's a reality. Uh, that will hit you and blindsign you. And um, <clears throat> that's why I, I believe that there should be a good balance in, in the whole resiliency thing, you know, um, you know, all the different dimensions. And that's, that's why I've been personally working on the emotional side, because that's been a, a blind spot for me, but sure. um, you know, having those conversations, uh, number one is tough because how do you tell someone that generates their energy from their mind, you know, for, for you, Dan, you're a smart, smart individual. What happens if you lose that passion or your mind starts slipping? You know, what does that do for you on a personal level? What do you mean? Like if I uh, get dementia or something? Well, not necessarily. I think dementia is something that is uh, 
but um but I don't know um I, that one that one's a hard one but let's say let's say you lose the drive to just keep reading and try right, educating yeah. yourself I mean so I wouldn't maybe, I wouldn't lose yeah. that I don't think I don't think I can you know what I mean yeah. but yeah, yeah. It, it's it would be it would certainly affect me I mean it's uh, <clears throat> not not just so I, one of the things I like to do is is and you you talked earlier about uh, holistic approaches to to men's health and mental health and shit like that. Uh, you should always try to marry up uh, the psychological with the uh, uh, with the physical, right? Yeah. Like, what physiological things can you do? Like exercise, for example. And in that case, the one you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> Not using your brain will atrophy, right? Not the same way that muscle fiber in your arms will, but uh, there is something called neuroplasticity, and you lose it when you stop using your brain, right? And that's what chronic traumatic encephalopathy is. Actually, it's it's C CTE that you hear about with football players or traumatic brain injury. A uh, part of the brain gets injured, and it stops functioning at a high level, and your brain says it's inefficient to send any more energy there, and that part of the brain effectively dies, right? Mm. Um, yeah. The same thing happens when you don't use your brain. The same thing happens when you don't use your uh, purpose muscle as well. You become yeah. a nihilist. It's like the thing that drives you internally, the spark inside of you, whatever it happens to be, uh, biologically speaking, that's programmed you to go uh, hunt or protect your family or whatever it is, that shit will go away and you will feel it, right? You may, you, yeah. you will feel it both mentally and physically and you will yep. feel like shit. And that's, that's where, uh, for me, that's the most dangerous point that a man faces in his life where yeah. there's no purpose, there's no tomorrow. And the results are, they, they, they come about something like this, <clears throat> either, person kills himself or they uh th they let the weight of society capture them and and that that rage turns to hate for some group of people or maybe all all people and they go fucking mass shoot somebody or they find nefarious purpose right like joining a terrorist organization or something like that yeah. these are all symptoms of the same disease and you know there's only one person that can protect you from that. And it is your goddamn self. You're the yeah, only one that can protect yourself from that. So, yeah. you know, building resilience is a man. Like if the, it's not like a physical muscle, right? Like if you sprain your ankle, you may have to take a couple of days off or a couple, maybe a week or two off from, from running or riding a bike or whatever it is you do. But if you sprain your brain, you have to fucking use it. The only way to, to, yeah. to win that is to fight your way out of it. Right. Uh, yep. And I, I think a lot of people get confused about that. Like, oh, I need a mental health break. Like, no, you don't. You don't. You need to find out what's causing the problem and then find the solution for it now. Because good news or bad news doesn't get better with time. Yeah. Um, and what, one thing, uh, and it's a guest that you've interviewed before, but I found in uh, listening to the audiobook of uh, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, um, and I, it was least expected. I actually stopped the audiobook, rewound it, and wrote it down in my phone. Um, and I, in my dark times, I always pull this up and read it. And it's helped me through dark times. And you never, uh, but he, he basically talked about a, a roundabout that he went on. And um, he said, uh, he, he figured out he had to put, so the quote is, put myself in a place to receive and then put myself in a place to be found. Um usually when I go into those dark times, I, I shelter myself and cut myself off from whatever, usually everything. But, um, if I, if I open up and put myself in a place to receive, it just opens up a whole new world. Mm -hmm. Right. And that goes back into, you know, the toughness and the lack of emotional response and a certain way that we're supposed to, I guess, to realize that we're supposed to be as men today. But, um, you know, in a place to be found, and those those two those two uh, phrases have kind of resonated with me, and um, it, it's just something that that I've driven on <laughs> since hearing them. It's kind of it's been very interesting and eye opening. Yeah. Uh, but when I try to s shut off and seclude myself, I just say, "Hey, put myself in a place place to receive and a place to be found." Mm. And uh, 
it's kind of changed things. It's been so. Thanks, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some. There's there's always going to be something required on your part to better yourself. That's just kind of how it works, man. And I don't know why that would be uh, not obvious. I guess you know. But you know, we we tend to a lot of people tend to close down when they get upset. Um, I don't I don't know what it is about that. I don't know why, but you know, I think to, to the point of uh, putting yourself in the position to to. I guess receive and, and and be seen and give back. Um, it makes me think of. I mean, I <clears throat> no nobody in our audience is going to confuse me with a religious person, but I think this is a pretty good anecdote. Um, <clears throat> there's a guy on top of his, uh, or there's a guy in a house, uh, and there's a flood. Right, the neighborhood floods. And he's in his front porch and a guy, the fire department comes by and they're like, hey, you need to evacuate. You got to get the fuck out of here. He's like, nah, I'm going to stay at my house. I, like, I want to be in my house and blah, 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 whatever. So the fire department's like, whatever, all right, we got to go. Um, and then, you know, the water rises and now he's in his attic and a fucking boat drives by. And the boat's like, hey, dude, get in. We're going to go back to town. No, I don't want to leave my house. And now the flooding's worse and he's on his roof and the helicopter comes by. He's like, hey you want to ride out of here? He's like, no, I'm going to wait for, for God to help me. Uh, and, and then, you know, now he's completely underwater. He's like, why didn't God help me? He's like, God sent you a, a fire truck and a boat and a helicopter. And you stood there in your house, like a fucking asshole. Right. Yeah. So there is always going to be some impetus on you to mm -hmm. take responsibility for your own situation and take steps towards moving yourself out of it. That's just how life works. Yeah. What, uh, what would you say to, uh, you know, I'm, what would you say to the just the common listener out there like what you know where where do where do you start um you, you know I, I i like to uh <clears throat> so it, one thing that's difficult is to have perspective in times of extreme emotional emotional distress right but that's what you have to do like you have to uh, wade through this stuff so you're upset about how your life's going or whatever um and, you know, what you can't do probably is is if external forces are, are fucking up your scene, right? If you're if if you get sick, if your family member gets sick or if the market crashes or some shit like that or government regulations fucking you over, um, there isn't necessarily a one to one thing you can do there. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, perspective is what matters. You. you I've been, uh, uh, I've been very happy in times where relatively speaking, things kind of sucked and I've been miserable yeah. when things were going well. And I think it's, I think you need to unpack exactly what it is that's causing the problem for you. And again, perspective is tough when you're under emotional distress like that, but you got to fight through it. I mean, you got to, that's where I start. I start with like, what is it exactly that's upsetting me right now? Right. And how can I fucking turn that to something that's useful for me? So, for example, this is an extreme example. Let's say, you know, a member of your family gets sick. Let's say it's uh, terminal, right? Unpack what it is exactly that's upsetting you. It's because your family member is suffering. And it's because <clears throat> you're being confronted with the reality that your time with them is coming to an end at some point, right? Or at least it possibly could come to an end. So what's the obvious solution to that problem? It's not to sit around and mope and whine about it. You know what I mean? Like if there's something you can do to change the situation, obviously do that. But what do you do when you realize your time is running out with somebody, right? You spend as much time with them as possible and you try to make that time for them as memorable and as meaningful and as pleasant as possible. That's the obvious solution. Uh, and I promise you, if you do that, it's going to change the way you see that situation. And not only that, when that person does eventually die, it's going to change the way like you, you're not going to have the regret that you would have had if you had just sat around and been a bitch about it. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't mean that to sound too coarse because it is a difficult situation, but that's how you're going to feel about yourself 30 years from now when you're fucking your, your parent or brother or wife or somebody is dead and you're like, fuck, I wish I would have done this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, when you bring that up, my, my dad actually just went through that. My uncle mm. just, you know, uh, cancer and all that stuff. They just went through that exact same process that you described. And 
um, they, you know, he ended up passing away recently and they, that was, it wasn't a surprise. It was known. It came on quick, but they had that time to discuss and, and spend time together. And, um, I, I think what the most important part, what in any of those things that you have to determine, you know, is, um, you have to be truthful. You have to be honest, right? Um, and you have to be honest about what your involvement is. Mm. And it's not making up stories to justify your stance on the, why you feel the way you do. It's if you're not doing the work, you got to be honest. Say, I'm just not doing what I'm supposed to. Uh, you know, if, um, and I think that's a difficult part for most people is just to be able to sit back and tell the truth or tell, you know, to be honest about what they are or aren't doing in their lives to better themselves. And I I'll be, I mean, I was that person. I would make up excuses and ride that train. And um, when you, when you look at the science of things, there's just some basic premise ideas that if you do them on a daily basis or on a, uh, on a repetitive basis, it's going to improve your well being. You know, Anthony Faselli, um, he has his program. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. That's why it's called that, you know, a hard 75 or whatever, but there's a lot of programs out there, but they all revolve around the same premise of moving, getting up, uh, doing some kind of activity, bettering your mind, getting some sunshine, healthy, healthier eating options. Um, those are just principles that have been proven to work. So, you know, if, if I were to, you know, I've, I've done this journey, I've, I've uh, rejected a lot of stuff that people have tried to give me suggestions on or whatever, just, um, you know, start with the basics, start with where, where the, the scientific parts have been proven, mm. you know, there's just basic elements to human development and improvement that just, uh, that just <laughs> are there. And more recently I've given a more of an open mind approach to doing these things. I, I, I'm, I don't like reading. I'd rather listen to an audiobook. but mm. I've been forcing myself to read. I've been doing this, handwriting challenge through uh what is it uh, leo jenkins and his uh dead dead reckoning collective mm-hmm. and um i can honestly tell you the the first time in probably over 25 years my body finally feels like it's not under attack and i told my wife i said this is if this is how a normal person feels this is great <laughs> you know so mm-hmm. it's like doing the things that you have to do and you kind of know but you have to you can't lie to yourself you have to tell the tell yourself the truth but it is i i agree with you it's 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 a lot easier to lie to yourself than it is to take responsibility but the results are mostly catastrophic from that right i mean the suffering doesn't typically end until you start getting honest with yourself it's why addicts have to hit rock bottom before they'll get help you know what i mean it's like damn i can't you, you get faced with your own mortality finally and you're like damn if i go any lower i'm gonna die so I got to make a decision now, right? It's it's like necessity is the mother of invention almost, right? But from a psychological perspective. And, um, and even in that point, um, I, I remember my first uh, round of, of process through Mission 22. I met with a doctor, did the blood work. And he said, Tim, um, if you don't change your, your ways, you're going to die. And I laughed at the doc. I said, well, doc, I kind of have this feeling of wanting to die. So how is that going to make me feel any better? Mm. And he said, no, this is real. And, um, in that moment, in that reality, I had to make a choice. Do I want to do this and live? Or he's telling me this is my easy way out, Mm. you know? Um, and in that moment of clarity is like, no dude, you want to live, (laughs) you want to live. So that was, that was my moment of clarity. If, but, um, and sometimes it's not that easy because if you are, have that, if you're in that mindset and they tell you, Hey, um, this is your path. You're going to die. Some people will take that option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they will, but you know, I guess that's their right. Yeah. And that's their option. That's yeah. right. And it's a, it's a hard, like you mentioned, it's hard, hard pill to swallow, but mm-hmm. that's the reality of, of the world we live in. You know, we can't stop everything, but, um, yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, it comes back to the truth telling. You got to tell yourself the truth. You got to do the work. Sure, yeah. And if you're going to, you know, <clears throat> it, accountability is like, um, it is cumulative, right? The more people that are doing it, not only does it get, uh, not only do more people do it, right? 
because of social pressure and setting a good example and all this other bullshit. But um, life gets better for everybody, right? Like the consider a lack of accountability in your personal life and in in the aggregate in all of our personal lives as a power vacuum where predators are going to come try to take advantage, to make money, to take control over you, to manipulate you or whatever it is. And it's like Red Rover, right? I mean, the weakest link in the chain. The the more uh, the the more we are, the more accountable we are as a group, the less likely we can be preyed upon. That's really yep. what it's about. And if you're going to be, you know, and and the other thing is, though, I'll finish. We got to get out of here. But the other thing I'll finish with is this: um, if you're in that struggle, or you have been in that struggle before, your goal should ultimately be, obviously, to to get out of the struggle but the second thing you should do is to start helping other people right yep. like you you have a moral imperative to help other people when you have the experience the expertise or the ability to do so One, yeah 100 cool well thanks for coming today it's a good conversation man i appreciate yeah, your time i appreciate it and if i can tell people where yeah. to find mission 22 um, yeah, as I mentioned before, Mission 22 is a veteran nonprofit that helps combat veterans recover from PTSD, TBI, and suicide ideation. They also do have a spouse program. Uh, Mission22.com, uh, like I said, they're a nonprofit. It's a great organization, um, and it's not it's not for everybody. Uh, so check it out. Take the first step if you're out there needing help. Um, that's the first step is just click the button and apply. Um, it's a very, really great program for those who need it. Um, yeah, and it's, that's that's the journey. Dan, I appreciate it. It's been a great talk. Thank you, sir. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. I appreciate your time today. And I appreciate all of you for uh, watching and listening. This has been Citizen. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.